From the Gospel, Then the Master summoned and said to his servant, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The parable that we read this morning is referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant, and it's probably pretty familiar to most of us. So I feel like I do this each year, um, every time around with this parable, but I do think it's helpful to just quickly review the currency of Jesus' day in order to better understand the significance of what's being said. So the first servant owed the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is uh, is equivalent to roughly 60 million denarii, which is about 300 tons of silver. The standard wage at the time was one denarius per day. So what we're looking at here then with this first servant is a debt that would have taken over 160,000 years to pay back. The point here is that with this sum of money, this is a debt that's so high that it simply cannot be repaid. That's the whole point. So when the servant says to the master, have patience with me, I will pay you everything, the master knows full well that that's absurd. He knows that this is a debt that will never be able to be paid back. It would literally take lifetimes. And this is the first major point of this parable out of which then everything else needs to be interpreted. And that is, simply this parable stresses the magnitude of God's forgiveness. God looks on us, he looks on his creation, knowing full well that we will never be able to repay the debt that we owe. And his response to that, to seeing us in that state, is to simply, in mercy, release us from the debt. So then the ethic of forgiveness that Jesus is speaking to in this parable necessitates that we must first be aware of and in touch with the reality of how much we ourselves have been forgiven. If we're not in touch with that, then this parable will not resonate. This echoes the story in Luke where a notorious woman, let's say, came to Jesus and anointed his feet with oil, oil and tears. And then there's a Pharisee there and he says, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus responds by telling Simon a story. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. The problem, I think, which impedes many of us from being in touch with the reality of how much we ourselves have been forgiven is that we never allow ourselves to be forgiven. And that's because I think the first step in that is too painful. It hurts too much to sit with the reality of what we've done. It hurts too much. We're too ashamed of ourselves. And then we live our whole lives in this hiding, in this sort of darkness which then, in a weird way, makes us judgmental of others because it's easier to project and deflect our own shame onto others than it is to sit with ourselves. Henry Nouwen describes this as not making our wounds available, but that which is unavailable cannot be healed. Only the sick need a physician. And it's hard because we don't forgive ourselves, or it's so difficult to forgive ourselves, so that we don't believe then that anyone, including God, could forgive us. 
So we have to have the courage to sit with what we have done and from there have the courage to come out in hiding, to present ourselves to the doctor, the great physician, to confess and then truly receive healing and forgiveness. This parable, like I said, will only make sense to the one who has gone through this process and is in touch with how much they have been forgiven. This is why this parable is so stark and it's meant to shock us. How could this servant not forgive the debt when he had just been forgiven such a greater debt? And that's the point that's being made here about forgiveness. How is it possible that one then who has been forgiven so much could not extend forgiveness to somebody else? And I think this is intended to imply or to include a corporate level as well. That is, how is it possible for a community, the church, us, which, who have been forgiven so much, why would we not then extend forgiveness to others who have hurt us? So not only individually do we become proud and judgmental of others, but as a church, as Christians, we do this. We're very quick to judge the outside world, and we often delay in extending mercy. Now, I'm not naive. I say that because it's happened to me on numerous occasions when I've preached mainly on this parable, but also on just on the topic of forgiveness in general. I always get some accusation of being naive. And now I know I haven't experienced everything. I might not. I would say I probably have not experienced uh, the hurt that you have gone through, the specific pain. But I'm old enough now, and I've gone through enough, I think, to understand at very least why forgiveness is such a difficult task. And perhaps at least part of the reason that we struggle with forgiveness is that we misunderstand what it means. Forgiveness is not about condoning wrong. It's not about saying the thing wasn't bad. It's not about forgetting or downplaying what happened. It's not about feeling warm, fuzzy feelings toward the offender. And it's not about, to sum up, it's not about pretending that everything is okay when it's not okay. There has been real hurt, there has been real pain, and it's not good for anyone to hide or to suppress that. There's a French priest, maybe some of you have heard of him, his name is Jacques Philippe, and he wrote what I think to be some, some things that gives up at least a helpful imagination or a vision for what forgiveness might look like. Ultimately, he says that forgiveness recognizes all of the evil, it recognizes that, yes, I was harmed, but in spite of all of the evil, in spite of the harm that was done to me, I'm going to choose not to condemn the other. I'm not going to condemn the offender. Now, in order to do this, I think this requires a few things. First, it requires that we let go of our felt sense of right to avenge that which was done wrong. Paul speaks about this in Romans 12. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Paul is convinced that whatever evil has happened to them, whatever persecution that they might face, that they must always, in all circumstances, respond with love. But what will enable them to do that is if they, as he puts it, if they leave it to the wrath of God. That is, they allow God in his wisdom and his justice 
to avenge the wrong because vengeance belongs to him. So what forgiveness asks of us is that we give up this sense of right to avenge the wrong, trusting ultimately not that it won't be done, but that God can do it better than we can. And the witness of human history has shown this. When we take vengeance, when humans take vengeance into their own hands, it becomes a very, very dangerous weapon. And it never, that's the thing about vengeance, it never accomplishes that what it sets, that which it sets out to do. It simply takes the evil that is present and adds more evil to the evil. So that's the first point, recognizing the wrong, or yes, recognizing the wrong, but then still choosing not to condemn, not to take justice into your own hands. Then I think the second part that Father Philippe speaks about is harder, and that is not identifying the individual with his fault. So that is, yes, I have been wronged, but I'm not going to identify the individual as a whole with his fault. Nobody wants to be identified by their faults. This is a posture that says, I will choose, in spite of what happens, to look at this individual with hope. That is, hope that in spite of what they have done, they are not beyond the bounds of God's redemption. Hope that even though I have been wronged, what I desire for them is not evil, but rather their repentance. This is a recognition that we, even when we have been hurt, we do not set the limits of God's mercy. We also must recognize, albeit a little difficult, I almost hesitate to say it because it makes, makes me uncomfortable, um, but it's clearly here. We must accept Jesus' teaching here that we're not given another option. That is, we're not given the option to withhold forgiveness. According to Jesus, withholding forgiveness is a culpable offense, something that we will be held accountable for on Judgment Day. Jesus warns us in Matthew 6, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, then neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So again, I think this is a difficult teaching. No one wants to get told you better forgive, because if not, you're going to hell. Um, But Jesus, nonetheless, it's like, take it up with him. He does have this very clear warning here to us. He says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. That is, have you thrown into debtor's prison until you pay off the debt, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart? In essence, we could say that Jesus' teaching here is that the unforgiving lose their forgiveness from God. That seems to be what he's saying. And thus, the unforgiving, because they lose their forgiveness from God, should expect to receive the due punishment which their own sins deserve. I'll close by saying this. Again, I think this is yet another difficult teaching from Jesus. But it speaks to just how serious God takes us and how seriously we need to take it. So you've seen here that one, our Father in Heaven has forgiven us our sins. And then that two, that forgiveness should be the primary motivation out of which we extend mercy to others. Thirdly, forgiveness does not mean pretending that all is okay, but rather commending the person into the hands of God to deal with both the justice and then potentially their redemption and repentance. But then also, finally, Jesus makes it clear that even if we do not forgive, or that if we choose not to forgive, he will hold us accountable for that. 
Ultimately, I think we must recognize that our refusal to forgive perpetually keeps us in prison and binds us to that other person. It takes away our freedom. When we don't forgive, we simply end up adding more evil to the evil, and we imprison ourselves to a lifetime of bitterness and hate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.